0: According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me, if you would, in Philippians chapter 1. We'll return where we left off Wednesday night. Philippians chapter 1, we're looking at verses 19 and following. The uh, two verses here, 19 and 20, that introduce the conclusion Paul comes to where he says for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain and we have a principle here that puts matters of life and death into the proper perspective so much so that matters of life and death are beside the point and uh, we recognize that whether we live or die, we have responsibilities. Whether we live or die, the Lord has expectations uh, over us. And we want to live up to those expectations. We want to fulfill what it is that He's called for us to do. And, and that makes matters of life and death sometimes largely beside the point. And uh, we'll see several passages where, uh, where that comes clear. So He says, um, "...in this I rejoice." The in this is the what then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. So there's a divided circumstance among the believers there. Some are preaching for right reasons, some are preaching for wrong reasons, and nevertheless they're all preaching Christ, and he says, in this I rejoice. Then he goes on to say, yes, and I will rejoice, The present tense rejoicing is followed up by a future tense rejoicing. On the basis of his present rejoicing, he has every expectation that in the future, no matter what, there's going to be even more rejoicing on the way and uh, the exciting things there. All right, for I know that this will turn out for my salvation or my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything. But that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. See, life and death is beside the point. He wants Christ to be exalted in his body. And that's the the central issue here. All right. So before we do begin this morning, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking the Father to set aside our distractions, asking for his blessing upon our time of teaching. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before you this morning thankful for your grace and truth, thankful and rejoicing over the blessing that we have to assemble together, calling upon your faithfulness, Father, to open the eyes of our understanding and to lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Father, we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We need the truth. We need the truth to transform us, to keep us from being conformed to this age. And Father, we need your truth to shine forth. And we just give you the praise and glory for this day in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so, brief panic moment where I think I forgot to turn off my phone. Aha, brief panic moment was correct. And so as we deal with uh, the salvation here, this is what he's praying for. Paul is waiting to get saved, right? And this is awkward to listen to sometimes until we stop and remind ourselves, wait a minute, The Bible uses saved in different ways. The Bible uses saved in at least three major ways and then possibly a fourth, fifth, and sixth uh, way as well uh, in some minor uses. But Paul is saved. He's born again. He's going to go to heaven when he dies. But the, the deliverance he's looking forward to is being rescued, being delivered, being saved from a possible shame that to him becomes unthinkable. He does not want to be put to shame in anything. Even one small thing is is out of uh, consideration as far as Paul is concerned. And so he doesn't want to be put to shame in anything. That's his earnest expectation and hope. That is the the fear or the concern, the item that he wants to be delivered from. And so uh, anytime we have salvation, whether it's the verb sozo or the noun soteria or, or what we're dealing with here, we stop and we ask ourselves, well, wait a minute, the Bible uses that term in different ways, so what is the way that it's being used here? That way we don't confuse and we don't misapply uh, principles in that regard. And uh, so that's what we're dealing with there. So he knows that this salvation is going to happen. And it's going to happen through the Philippian prayers. That the value of the Philippian prayers is such that it's going to be productive and that part of the productiveness of those prayers is going to be uh, unity with Paul, that which every joint supplies. There's going to be a, a kinship, there's going to be a power that's going to link Paul with the Philippians. It's called here um, the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ. And so there's a process that happens in prayer whereby believers praying for one another have that unity, have that provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that's generated in the prayers. And then, of course, the salvation, the uh, the consequences, the answer to the prayer that Paul is delivered, that Paul is rescued from being put to shame. And so uh, all of this is uh, material that we've been covering under point one in the outline. Paul's present rejoicing assures him of a future rejoicing, and this future rejoicing that he's anticipating, he knows it's on the way, he just hasn't seen it yet. It's like uh, the confidence we should all have in our prayers, because we're praying for something, and it's still future, we haven't seen it yet, but we know the prayer is on the way, we know that the Father will make provision, He's faithful, He has to, and so we're thankful for that. He anticipates a soteria salvation, we discussed that. Important that you realize that salvation is not contingent upon whether he lives or whether he dies. He's going to be saved either way. That's why he says, whether this or that. Okay, And the uh, whether or uh, puts both kind of in a, in a contrast, this on the one hand, that on the other hand, but they're both irrelevant because the salvation is going to come take place regardless either by his life or by his death. He's no less saved if he dies. We want to be clear on that. I hope we all can embrace that because I think sometimes we get one-sided in our prayer requests. We're praying for, for something and cancer or whatever, we want healing. And then we think that if the, if the healing doesn't happen and the person dies, is that not an answer to prayer? It is an answer to prayer whether by life or by death. Let's not confuse the circumstances with the real work assignment, all right? And uh, in particular, if the work assignment is physical death, then that has to be, uh, that can be, if it's volitionally embraced by the person going through it, extremely powerful for bearing a fruit and testifying to the gospel and encouraging others. Different uh, different opportunities there. So it is a salvation not contingent with His life or his death. Paul knows that the Philippian corporate prayer support will sustain him. He knows that as they pray, it's through those prayers. That's why it uses the the preposition through. That I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers, even the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And uh, we want to understand this as well, the value for corporate prayer support. Yes, you can stay home and you can pray by yourself, but yes, you can also come and join the saints in the corporate prayer meetings. And in those corporate prayers, we see great power achieved in different, uh, different applications. This prayer support becomes the logistical supply through the Spirit of Jesus Christ, and when you have that provision there it 's translated provision in verse nineteen in Ephesians and Colossians is translated supply that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of the individual parts, and we recognize that the the actual uh, grease for the for the joints the sockets the the uh, what is that glucosamine chondroitin, whatever it is, uh, whatever that keeps the the the, the joints and ligaments uh, well oiled and limber? All right, the Scripture says that's the Holy Spirit that uh, removes the friction between believers, between uh, bones that's bone on bone and bumping up against each other, and that kind of hurts, doesn't it? But the Holy Spirit removes that friction and that unity of the spirit and the bond of peace is uh is a glorious thing and so we have Ephesians 4:16 Colossians 2:19 and our text here today Philippians 1 uh verse 19 called the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ Paul's expectation and hope for this salvation is not to be put to shame in anything, and so we had some shame studies working through that on point C, the idea that if you're shamed for the wrong reasons, then the devil can use shame and guilt and other things to manipulate you, and that's a a horrible thing. But then there's shame for the right reasons. God will use shame when He brings us to repentance, when He disciplines us. There is a godly sorrow that produces repentance, so shame can be very useful when it's edifying, when God uses it on that basis. But then there's the self-inflicted shame whereby we fail in carnality and darkness. We bring dishonor to our Savior. And uh, and that's unthinkable as far as the Apostle Paul is concerned, that, that he would not want to be discrediting the ministry in anything as, uh, as far as that goes. And if you think uh, this is not a big deal, just reread 1 John 2.28 sometime and realize that there is a large segment of Christendom when the trumpet sounds that will shrink away from him in shame at his appearing that uh, the Lord Himself is going to descend with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain, including those that are shrinking away from Him in shame, it is coming. We who are alive and remain will be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. But that 1 John 2.28 passage speaks about believers that have that moment of shame when they know that they've been caught carnal. They know that they've not been about their father's business, and yet they're being snatched out anyway to be called home with a bride. And so, uh, so there it is. Yes, it's a twinkling of an eye. Yes, it'll be over before you know it. I still don't want to go through it. I want to be found faithful when my Savior returns and uh, aspects there. So um, that's First John 2.28 if you want to review that. Which brings us now. We talked about uh, expectation and hope, and we get through that. We do live in a living hope, and we're thankful for that. Just being saved means that you, by grace, you've been introduced to this living hope. We stand in this living hope, and the the life of a believer should be a life of hope, because that's that's what it's about. Paul, uh, Hebrews, Peter, John—they all spoke about hope on a positional truth basis. All right, which brings us now to the emphasis of uh, verse twenty. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, and that becomes significant, even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And so we've got two temporal expressions here, time expressions, idioms as relate to time. We have the even now and we have the as always, and they're put together, I think, in a, in a fun kind of way because we have these moments um, when the always way of life becomes tested, and it becomes tested in various even now moments of great testing. And so we have aspects of how we live our lives always. And I think about the first Thessalonians 5 passage of rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. And so we have that as as a present active imperative, we have that as a continuous action in present time. It's characteristic of our daily life, characteristic of normal. Uh, Ideally, as we're growing in the Word of God, uh, we're we're doing pretty well with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's look at that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and you'll see what I'm talking about. You you know the verses already, but it doesn't hurt to to look at them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, And we see that these are, when I taught these in the basic notebook, remember the basic doctrinal studies notebook, uh, these uh, principles were given as the will of God in uh, in basic uh, thelematology. How do I know the will of God? And uh, presented them, for example, as general orders for the church, that they are always applicable all day, every day. And and I love the fact that it, these verses uh, end with, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And um, so that spells it out right there. Um, anyway, this is, this is a larger context related to how we function within a local assembly, how we encourage one another and build up one another, how we appreciate those who diligently labor among you. Um, I guess if I'm going to pick up a context, we'll start with verse 12. We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And this is the verse for my pastoral appreciation message that I like to give when I'm a guest speaker in other churches. And I I go to other churches and I speak to other flocks and, and I encourage them to encourage their pastor to appreciate their pastor. More awkward when you preach it in your own church in front of your own flock, but that's we we find out if it's a grace ministry and believers are doctrinal or not. But But the the verb to appreciate is is the verb to know. You have to know your pastor. And how well do you know him? Do you know him inside and out? Do you know his good days and his bad days? Do you know his strengths? Do you know his weaknesses? Are you praying for him? And are you praying effectively because you know him so well? That's what it means to appreciate. It's to know those who labor to the point of exhaustion, kapia'o, and have charge over you in the Lord. Ooh, believers don't like that. Uh, We live in a uh, uh, post-authority generation, I think, that's uh, um, just resistant to pastoral authority. Um, Even John MacArthur denies that he has any authority in his church, that uh, all authority is through the Word of God and, uh, and the pastor has none. Uh, But this verse says that they have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in love because, not because they deserve it, but because of their work, as it says. Live in peace with one another. And so this is a paragraph that's dealing with the one another fulfillment, including the pastor as well as the the sheep. It says that we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and in case you can't figure out whether they're unruly, faint hearted, or weak, be patient with everyone. All right. And so you got a, a powerful verse there in verse fourteen. I, I enjoy that as well. So this is a context whereby we operate together as a flock. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Again, the corporate fulfillment of this is one another in the flock. Now I would ask, have we left the corporate context? Have we left the body context? Was there anything in between verse 15 and 16 that tells us that all of a sudden we're not talking about believers living together in a local church and supporting one another and loving one another? I say no. I think the context for 16, 17, 18 is identical to the context for 12 through 15. And in particular, because when we get past verse 18, we see that we're still in the corporate context of a local church with do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. That's all directed towards the body, directed towards the corporate local church as we serve one with another. So the same thing would then be true with 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice always. All of y'all rejoice. It's a, it's a plural verb designed for the whole body to be rejoicing together. Don't go home and rejoice by yourself. Come to church and rejoice with all of us. All right? And and the, one of the best things, too, that, that if you're going to sit at home all grumbly and lonely and, and, and you find that you have very little to rejoice over, it's because, well, maybe uh, this is not your season for rejoicing. you will go share in somebody else's rejoicing. And then they can share in your weeping. How about that? And uh, because, you know, next week it'll be, the shoe will be on the other foot. And it goes back and forth on, uh, on this basis. So rejoice always. Present active imperative as a continuous action. Present time, all day, every day. This is the as always part of even now as always that we're looking at in Philippians chapter 1 that I will even now as always rejoice. Uh, So rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. And uh, all of these are plural verbs, all of these are continuous action, all of these are present tense. So this should be the as always normal for believers in a local church. For this, and I like the way you have a singular this that encompasses a whole stack of stuff in front of it. Okay? This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We're not going to pinpoint one specific item and say, well, that has to be the this. It has to be pray. It has to be rejoice. It has to be uh, uh, no, It's it's all of them together that is the this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So now that's the as always imperative. And so we're doing fine. Paul says, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. And then the Lord hits us with a test and says, okay, how about now? <laughs> okay, how about now? Right? So we're, we're going along and we're fulfilling all of the as always, that Christ will be as always glorified in my body. How about now? And then Paul says, okay, even now, even now, as always, so I'm not going to just make today an exception. Say, well, okay, normally I would rejoice, but not not over this. <laughs> no, even now. Even now, okay? And so we start to ask ourselves then, where do I draw the line? Is there a point then that in my faith I can't cross that line and say, oh, no, 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 Lord, up to that. Don't, don't do that. And What is it that we're not willing to lose? What is it we're not willing to give up? What is it we're not willing to endure? What is it where we say, okay, Lord, I'll serve you, but only on one condition. Okay? And uh, as Jesus taught it, it might be that's the, that's the one condition that He's got lined up next in your, uh, it's like a Netflix queue, right? you got a, <laughs> God has a queue lined up on uh, testing that you have to go through from Alpha to Omega, that you have to go through from, uh, from your salvation to your physical death. And, um, you know, it's the next one coming up is the one that you say, no. Okay? But it's preparing. It's what he does. So the as always way of life becomes tested in various even now moments of great testing. And this we talk about too when you're growing up and you're facing tests that you passed years ago. And you think, why is it so tough now? I passed this thing years ago. This used to be easy. Well, yeah, and you used to be younger and you used to have a hedge of protection around you. But now you're older and God expects more out of you and the hedge is lower. Your accountability is... is uh, he expects more. Absolutely He expects more. And so we have the principle there. Alright, so then we have to deal with this whether by life or by death. Eta, eta. The particle eta is, is used twice. It's the weather and the or. Um, in English we have different words for either, or, neither, nor, both, and. Uh, In Greek they tend to just duplicate the particle. So uh, eta, diazoes, either through Zoe. Eta, dia thanatu, or through death. Okay? And either way it's really beside the point. Because whether it's life on the one hand, Zoe on the one hand, or thanatos on the other hand, either way. Paul's earnest expectation and hope is for this deliverance, that he not be put to shame. That Jesus Christ is going to be exalted in his body. You know, years ago, Pastor Theme developed the doctrine of the mastery of circumstances and details of life. You familiar with that? Read the book? Heard the tapes? Know the doctrine? Great doctrine. Okay? I want to tweak it a little bit and rename it, and since he's with the Lord now, he can't yell at me for doing that. The the colonel actually... Sometimes, I don't know, my childhood pastor added a letter on gap. He turned gap into gape. And so G-A-P became G-A-P-E. And so instead of the grace apparatus for perception, my pastor taught it as the grace apparatus for perception and edification. So he put an E on the end of gap. And it became kind of legendary in the early 1970s that that uh, Ken Jensen was that renegade doctrinal pastor out there on the West Coast that had the the nerve to to supplement the colonel's the, the acronym you know and that is. so it was all in love and they teased each other but um anyway notice i waited till the colonel was dead before i started doing stuff like this how about instead of mastery of the circumstances and details of life we add death on top of life and then we recognize it for what it is am i mastering the circumstances Or am I sovereignly in control of the circumstances? I'm not mastering the circumstances, but I'm maintaining a consistent, steadfast, divine viewpoint throughout every circumstance and detail of life and death. All right, and I think I'm going to settle on that as my title for what this is about because I'm, I'm not going to master anything. I'm, God's in control. I'm just going to maintain a divine viewpoint perspective as He chooses to bring about my testing. As He chooses what test I face, how long it's going to last, how severe it's going to be, how much damage is going to be done in the meantime, <laughs> uh, what the fallout's going to be afterwards. All of those are details that's in His sovereignty. And what I want to do is keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. And uh, as such, I'm going to maintain a steadfast divine viewpoint throughout every circumstance and detail of life. Because in the moment Peter took his eyes off the Lord, what happened? He started to sink, okay? But if you keep your eyes on the Lord, you can walk on the water, right? So we have these principles here, whether by life or by death. And so um, these are worth looking at. Of course, Zoe, I need my daughter Zoe um, comes uh, from the Greek word here for life it's the long O and the long E though so you pronounce the omega uh, as an O and the eta as an A and it should really be Zoe but we don't call my daughter that we just call her Zoe sometimes though when we get two Zoe's together I like to use the plural which is Zoe and um, both Kennedy and Bolander think I'm crazy but that's what happens um, number 2222 Alright? 2222. That's the Strong's number for Zoe. And who can forget 2222? But that's the, uh, the Strong's number. It's got 135 uses. 135 uses of the noun and another 140 uses of the verb. So 270 uses of, of what we're looking at here. Uh, 275 uses uh, between the verb and the noun. The verb is zao. Z-A-O. Zao. And uh, meaning to live. And uh, it's curious to me because because we frequently will will draw distinctions between Zoe life and bios life, and the the New Testament does have bios as a, as a life. Really, it's a it's a secular life. It's a livelihood. It's it's uh, what you do for a living. What you do to make money. It's just secular life, earthly life, and we all have it. Unbelievers have bios life, but. Zoe is what's provided when you believe in Jesus Christ. Zo- uh, bios is never modified by the noun eternal. Only Zoe is modified by the noun by the adjective eternal. Zoe is what's eternal. And uh, we can be thankful for that. Although, and so having said that and finding the distinctions between Zoe and Beos, um, it is interesting that the contrasts between life and death are almost exclusively uh, Zoe with Thanatos, never with Beos with Thanatos. And I find that interesting too. How the Scripture would spotlight the need for, uh, for Zoe as the answer to Thanatos. Because Beos is not the answer to Thanatos. All right, And so uh, what we're looking at here um, we could take weeks and weeks or months to study Zoe and Zao. Uh, We can save a little bit of time if we just bring up a a search list and remind ourselves of some of these things. Um, Can I do this? This is how I study at home. I don't make the font large enough for the back row when I'm at home. All right. Uh, But but how many verses, and we should be very familiar with these verses, and let me just start, before we start looking at these, uh, sometimes it's useful to graph the results. And uh, I can pop that out too. Here we go. All right. And um, what this does, is finds your 275 uses. And plots them for you throughout the New Testament so that graphically, visually it grabs your attention. And if you're like me, I'm a, I'm a visual learner. So I can stare at a chart for 110 hours and learn all kinds of stuff. The, uh, whereas I can listen to something 50 times and still not hear it. So I, I, it helps if I see it. Um, this is not a dominant theme in Philippians. Okay, Living and life is not a dominant theme. In fact, uh, Philippians is, is there in the middle of the chart. I can't increase those labels. So uh, there's Philippians right there. Ephesians just 1, Philippians 5, Colossians 4. And, and so the stretch here of the prison epistles, um, you would think somebody in prison on the verge of death would have more to say on life. Uh, but he doesn't. Not really. The, the, the main uh, emphasis on life comes in the Gospel of John. John is the uh, more so than Matthew Mark and Luke combined uh, the Gospel of John jumps out at you uh, revelation also John's jumps out at you first John um, first John is only fourteen uses, but you know what a short verse that a book that is, so really, the fourteen uses in first John is is concentrated and is is uh, quite emphatic for a book as short as first John. So uh, yeah, between the gospel, the first epistle, and the book of Revelation uh, the, the Johannine literature is full of life. It's full of life verses and principles and applications and that. Uh, Romans is really where Paul is off the charts in life uh, when he talks about uh, in in Adam all die in Christ are all made alive and the, the blessings we have of eternal life in Christ. And so to uh, we're not going to break out of our Philippians study and do a life study. It's it's not a it's not a major emphasis in, in Philippians. In fact, when we get past this paragraph, uh, we're kind of done with with life issues here because it's beside the point, and that's the point he's making. Whether I live or die is not the point. The point is to glorify Christ and uh, and to live as Christ and die as gain. Beyond that, he Paul very little with respect to uh, to life. So, switching off the chart then and. Uh, a lot of these in Matthew, we know, a uh, man shall not, za'o, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that uh, proceeds out of the mouth of God, that's za'o, to live. Um, small is the way and narrow is the gate that leads to life, and there are a few who find it. Uh, that's Matthew 7, and I appreciate that because I think it sets parameters for the proportion, saved versus the lost in this world, or uh, even within the saved, disciples versus non-disciples as a pattern. Um, you are the Christ, Son of the living God. And one of the things we've got to recognize with respect to life and the value of life and why we uphold life, why we want to pursue a culture of life, and this is beyond the abortion question and, and physical issues, is the fact that we are beings of life and we are sons of the living God. The difference between the one true God and all the idols you could, you could point to, ours is the living God. Okay? And so we see it there in many other places. Um, Matthew 18, Matthew 19. What th- good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Like I say, Zoe is the only life word that is uh, modified by eternal. Um, he is not the God of the dead, but the living And I find that significant as well because we're going to talk about Jesus Christ who judges the living and the dead. But He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living and uh, aspects there. Um, I notice it's interesting how Jesus stayed silent. He stayed silent. He stayed silent at one of His trials until the high priest adjured you by the living God. He said, I abjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ. And once he was placed under oath to the living God, he opened his mouth and he testified. Prior to that, he kept his mouth shut. Uh, Anyway, so Matthew, Mark, Luke. um, In in the, the parable there, he squandered his estate with loose living. That's the parable. And uh, the uh, father told his older brother, he says, This son of yours was dead and has now begun to live. He was lost and now has been found. And that's why they're going to celebrate. That's Luke 15 in the parable of the prodigal son. Um, Again, he's not the God of the dead, but the living. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? I love that. The women show up at the empty tomb and the body's not there. The body's not there because Jesus isn't there, <laughs> all right? Because he was raised from the dead and he departed. And, uh, and I love the, the angels then that say, why do you seek the living one among the dead? Of course, the Gospel of John starts with this. And in this great prologue, About in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing has come into being uh, of those things that have come into being. And then what does verse 4 say? It says, in Him was life, and that life is the light of men. And so we have this connection. There's life, light, and love, and the Gospel of John does a marvelous thing to bring together life, light, and love in, uh, in these ways. All right. whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. Of course the Gospel of John, you remember the chart, it was off the charts as far as the uses of of life. He who believes in Him will have eternal life. Um, Whoever does not believe in Him, uh, that God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on Him. That's the default condition. That cutest little baby you've ever held is an unbeliever that needs life. And we uh, can appreciate that. John 4 is the living water and the message he had with the woman at the well. Uh, John 5, passing out of death into life. The father has life in himself. He gave to the son also to have life in himself. That's key in John chapter 5. Anyway, hopefully you're familiar with all these. Um, so that we understand, working for the food that endures to eternal life. I am the bread of life. You know, everybody in the wilderness ate manna and they died. But Jesus is the the true bread that comes down out of heaven, the living bread. Partake of Christ and you never die. So that's John chapter 6. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in yourselves. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will also live because of me. He who eats of this bread will live forever. And the key on that, we understand, eternal security. You eat of that bread, you're going to live forever. He that's, that's, cannot revoke that. You cannot lose that. You say, well, what if 10 years from now I stop believing? What if, what if I become a renegade? What if I just, I start hating God? You're still saved because you ate. You ate and you drank. You'll never thirst again. Uh, You eat of this bread. It doesn't doesn't say, he who eats of this bread and keeps on eating and keeps on eating and never stops eating and eats for the rest of his life, then he can earn his salvation because he's persevered to the end. Okay? Eat once, live forever. And I love that. It's simple. Okay? Although I spent much of this week reading a book that called me a fool for uh, holding to such a simplistic gospel. That uh, you can't lose your salvation. What a, what a heresy. <laughs> Alright. Um, some of my other life, favorite life passages. John 10.10 10, I came that they may have life and they may have it abundantly. You know Old Testament believers got saved. They received eternal life. But the abundant life is, is our heritage. That's our blessing in the church age. They did not have the abundant life in the Old Testament. They didn't have the permanent indwelling of God the Holy Spirit. They weren't baptized into union with God the Son. They were not seated in the heavenly places at the right hand of God. We have the abundant life. And that's, uh, that is such a thrill. I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. None will be able to snatch them out of my hand. I love that in John 10, 28. You know the idea that Jesus would be faithless this is the will of my Father that of all that He has given me, I lose not one. <laughs> Isn't that a thrill? Because you realize to lose your salvation means, this is when I talk about. When I talk about people that are terrified that they're going to hell, that they used to be saved and they're not saved anymore. Okay, I had a lunch last week with a pastor that, that is Arminian in his theology. And uh, it, to me that's just sad because You think somehow you can be so faithless that you can lose what you didn't deserve in the first place, right? Not only that, not only do you think you can be so faithless, you think that Jesus can be so faithless. Now, don't get me wrong. I think you can be faithless, (laughs) but Jesus can't. Because if we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. And for Jesus, to, to it's the will of the Father that He lose not one, So if Jesus loses you, that means Jesus is defying the will of God the Father. You think that's possible? Of course not. If Jesus could defy the Father, He wouldn't have gone to the cross. A Savior that can fail the Father wouldn't be a Savior. So by definition, if He saves you at all, He has to save you forever. Because that's the will of the Father. Anyway, a lot of these are heavy on my heart this week. I think because of that pastor I met with, because of... of, uh, different things. Of course, John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Let's turn to that one. Let's look at John 11. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. I like to use this in funerals. Because it was a funeral. <laughs> Lazarus died. And there's all the boohooing and the weeping and wailing and the sisters are there. And Jesus took too long to get there. Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Why didn't he come till the fourth day? And um, Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Well, yeah, I know. Big help that's going to be. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That's the Old Testament doctrine of resurrection. Daniel 12, Job, other passages. On the last day, my Redeemer lives. He will take his stand. We will stand with him. From my flesh, I will see God. So yes, on judgment day, I will see Lazarus again. And uh, Martha seems to be unimpressed. (laughs) All right. She says, because today I'm in grief. Today I miss him. I love him. Today I'm sad. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, the Anastasis and the Zoe. I should have had another daughter, could have had Anastasia and Zoe. I am the resurrection and the life. Instead, I had a truth in life from John 14. I had an aletheia in a zoe. So I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. You get that? Because physical death does not end spiritual life. Even if he physically dies, he still lives. Because eternal life can't die. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And yes, Lord, I believe. You are the Christ, the Son of God, even He who comes into the world. So we have the, the great encouragement there. Um, a few more Zoe passages. I don't want to spend the whole time on Zoe. We want to spend some time on Thanatos. <laughs> kind of balance out some death passages to go with our life passages here. Um, His commandment is eternal life. That's John 12. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So that's Hadas and Aletheia and Zoe, the way, the truth, and the life. And it is exclusive. It is absolutely exclusive. Don't ever apologize for being exclusive. This modern world hates it. The postmodern world we live in hates it. They want to be multicultural, they want to be multi, they want to be pluralistic. They want to tell you that uh, good Buddhists and good Mormons and good Hindus and good Muslims and good whatever, that it's, there's many paths to, to heaven. It's a lie from the pit of hell. There is one way. There is one way, one truth, one life, and that's Jesus Christ. And, and, and think about how blasphemous that, that whole lie is. Because you realize it makes the cross unnecessary. If there's, if there's all these other ways, then why go to the cross? If there's even one alternative, even if there's only one, maybe even forget all these other hundreds, if there's only one other way besides the cross, then God would have pointed to that and said, go do that. And he could have saved his son from the cross. But the fact is, there was no other way. Jesus said, if it's possible, take this cup from me. It's not possible. He went to the cross. And so we're going to see this. It's a huge dominant theme in not only in Philippians here in these upcoming classes, but also in Hebrews, in our upcoming Hebrews classes. The cross is necessary. It was necessary for Jesus to suffer. That's what perfected him as our high priest. Um, so, John fourteen six, uh, Because I live, you will live also, that's John 14, 9. Um, John 17, verses 2 and 3. that he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. John 17, verses 2 and 3. In this world you will have tribulation. What else am I looking at here? John twenty thirty one. These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. It's been written so that you might believe. You know, the Gospel of John is written on an evangelistic basis. It's the only book of the Bible that says if you read this book you can believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God. And that believing you will have life in His name. Anyway um, so that's John. Uh, That's the the dominant one on our chart. Acts has several uh, messages on life. Romans of course. We'll get to a lot of the Romans messages in our development. So I'll pass over that for now. In Adam all die. In Christ all are made alive. We've got the first Adam, the last Adam. Um, yeah, Galatians, we'll talk about it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You realize when, you've, when you first started to really truly live is when you no longer lived because Christ is now living in you. And that's what we're going to see with to live is Christ. If you have any kind of a Christian walk that diminishes Christ, that's not the life He's called you to. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so we'll talk about what it means to live is Christ. Living by faith, in this living hope, putting sin to death, holding fast the word of life. Names are recorded in the book of life. The book of Zoe. It's the living word, living idols, or no, dead idols, living God dead idols and living God. We who are alive and remain will be caught up with them in the clouds. Uh, The household of God is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Doctrine holds promise for the present life, also the life to come. We fixed our hope on the living God. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and made the good confession take hold of that which is life indeed. All who desire to be zo- oh godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Did you know that? You know how many times I've read 2 Timothy 1.10 and the other day it, it just reached out and slapped me across the face and said, have you ever read me? <laughs> wow, wait a minute. 2 Timothy 1.10, Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's something he's already done. He did that. He did that. And so here's a passage I want to put into consideration when I study that death will be abolished and that the last enemy to be abolished is death. And, and folks are looking forward to that. Folks are looking forward to that as something He's going to do at the end of the millennium or something He's going to do at the great white throne or something He's going to do before He creates new heavens and new earth. That's something that's post-millennial because um, there's still people that physically die during the millennium and there's still unbelievers throughout the millennium. But what we re- start to realize and what really hit me was I looked at 2 Timothy 1.10 and said, wait a minute, He already did that. He abolished death when He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And so that tactical victory on the cross was the event that abolished death. It's already done. It's not something that's going to happen in the great white throne. So it's not an obstacle to a thousand generations in the new heavens and the new earth, by the way, that uh, some people think it is. There He is, uh, Jesus Christ, judging the living and the dead. That's 2 Timothy 4.1. And uh, we're supposed, to, oh, we're supposed to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. bunch of life in Hebrews, so stay tuned for that. Second hour, we are in Hebrews. First Peter, the living stone, living hope. And then like I say, all those 1 uh, John references, a whole bunch of those First John references. All right. That's what we're dealing with. A study on Zoe, a study on Zao, a study on what it means to live, a study on what it means to be a child of the Father. You must be born again. And uh, some of the, the most basic doctrines we could ever go through are soteriological doctrines. And yet, as basic as they are, it's stunning to me how much confusion is out there and how lordship people and other people come along and try to twist things and they want to add works to faith. They want to add uh, uh, you know, some kind of other activity on top of faith. And if you don't have that activity with your faith, then your faith is dead. It's not a living faith. It's not a saving faith. And they start to throw fine print and stipulations on what does it mean to believe. In any event, we have that there. Then there's death. Death is thanatos. Thanatos. T-H-A-N-A-T-O-S. Thanatos. Comes from the verb anathenesco. And again, hundreds of uses in the New Testament. Thanatos has 119 uses. Starts with a theta, that's your T H letter, and then A N A T O S Thanatos. 2288. And even uh, some of the oh, my Greek students aren't here this morning. But the the A looks like an A, the T looks like a T, the O looks like an O, the S looks like an S, kind of a droopy S that gets lazy and dangles down below the line there. But it's an S. Thanatos. Then a theta. The trickiest letter of that whole word is the new. It looks like a V. But no, it's a new. Thanatos. Um, it comes from apothenesco. And apothenesco is interesting to me because the prefix apo a lot of times means from or out of. And uh, the idea of death being a departure, the idea of death means you're going out of somewhere your soul is going out of your body or you're going out of the world or there's a departure that's happening with a death and so the the apo prefix is interesting to me in, in the verb apathanesco uh, apathanesco is used uh, 599 times and uh, you will always misspell it because uh, almost no one remembers there's an iota subscript underneath the eta in uh, apathanesco but the little iota subscript is Important to keep there in your spelling. Strong number 599, it has 111 uses. So the noun is 119 and the verb is 111. That adds up to 240 some odd verses whereby we're looking at death. Okay, It was 275 I think that we were looking at life and now there's a whole string of verses to be looking at death. And what does the Bible talk about in terms of death? And similar to I think the survey we've just completed so here's a combined search with uh, thanatos and Apothenesco. and again we can graph it and uh and see that uh, this time romans outdoes john 45 uses in romans only 36 in john and uh philippians not so much although there is i think seven in uh yep seven in philippians several in hebrews Again, John is the dominant gospel more so than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All right. Eight minutes remaining. Um, And this too, death, uh, the same thanatos is going to be used of physical death, it's going to be used of spiritual death, it's going to be used of operational death. You're familiar with some of those terms we talk about. Uh, obviously physical death is when the body drops dead Uh, spiritual death is is the state of being in Adam whereby we don't have salvation, we are on the road to hell and every human is born that way in Adam but when you believe in Jesus Christ you receive spiritual life and so never again will you have spiritual death that's why when you go carnal that's not spiritual death that's carnality and that's called operational death that's called being dead even while you live And it's the the tragic consequences of carnality that uh, the provision's been made so that we don't operate in operational death. Okay? And so it's useful when we come across uh, Thanatos, uh, again, ask ourselves, does the Bible use it in different ways? Yes. What are the ways the Bible uses it? Chart those out. And then start pinpointing particular passages and say, okay, this is a, a death verse that's applied to physical death. This is a death verse that applies to spiritual death. This is a death verse that applies to operational death. And uh, you can chart them out in, a, in a, on a good basis that way. So, um, related to this, okay? Um, and I don't know how excited about some of these you're going to be. Um so starting in Matthew, of course, sitting in the land in shadow of death, upon the all a light dawns, it's an Old Testament quote. Uh, perishing in the waters. In Matthew 9 he says, leave for the girl has not died but is asleep. And this is the, the miracle when he raises Jairus' daughter. They start laughing at him. Uh, brother will betray brother to death. That's the conflict that we have in the church age, but really it's prophetic of what Israel will experience in the tribulation. Um, he who speaks evil of a father or mother is to be put to death. Remember that? You know, under, under Mosaic law, you were to honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with a promise. And to, uh, to speak evil of a father or mother was punishable by the death penalty in the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus said there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming into the kingdom. And that was right before He takes three of them to observe the transfiguration. I think it was a time travel episode. I think He brought them forward and they stood on the millennial earth. They spoke to Moses, they spoke to Elijah. And then, uh, then they returned back to 33 AD and uh, resumed the ministry there. Um... And then, yeah, this story about a man died having no children and then the woman died. Peter said, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus said, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, isn't that all of us? Isn't that all of us? We're just so prideful in how we think we're going to serve. Okay. Um, hmm. They answered, Uh, Oh, here's Jesus, began to be deeply grieved to the point of death. Think how severe Gethsemane was. Think about how he was learning. And this is what we're going to talk about because he learned obedience to the things that he suffered. He had to learn the totality of what that sorrow was going to be. He had to accept the wrath for human sin. And until he was volitionally on board, the father was not going to accept his work the next day. And so Gethsemane brings him volitionally on board and on Friday he went to Golgotha but without Gethsemane he can't do Golgotha and that's uh, that's powerful. We'll see some of that in, in Hebrews talking from Isaiah 53 and uh, and principles there. Uh, there's Mark, passages that are largely parallel to Matthew. Here's Luke, again those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace is a quote out of uh, out of Isaiah, Jesus was fulfilling the Old Testament Um, yeah poor man died, was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom so you can read that story in Luke 16 if a man's brother dies and then the wife, the woman, she finally dies like that wasn't suspicious (laughs) widowed six straight times and then you know I'd start to wonder all right. Passing out of death into life. And see, this is the thing. The, the, the totality of what happens when we get saved. Not just the fact, I mean, start counting up every single thing that happened. Schaefer had 39 things that happened at the moment of salvation. And start charting through those things that we receive a spiritual gift, we receive an inheritance, we receive eternal life, we're justified. We're all these things that happen. We pass out of death into life. And you understand, if Arminian theology is true, then we should have scriptures that would define how all 39 of those things get undone. How we can revert back into the death we were delivered out of. Say, no, we have passed. Perfect tense, past completed action, present ongoing results. We've passed out of death into life. That's the eternal estate. All right. Talking about dying in your sins, the accountability we have there. Um, You're not greater than our father Abraham who died, did you? Lazarus is dead. That's John 11. And a lot of these are connected to life passages, you might expect. So we've seen a lot of these already. The high priest prophetically said it's expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. And he was speaking in a carnal way. He was speaking just from his point of view he wanted to kill the Christ. And he said hey it's expedient that one man dies on behalf of everybody. And lo and behold he's actually unbeknownst to himself preaching a a gospel message, is he not? Because is that not the nature of substitutionary atonement? That one man took the place of all of us? And so remarkably enough, an unbeliever speaking uh, on behalf of Satan, to me it's, it's powerful. Uh, there's a psalm that says, that he, I will cause the wrath of man to praise my name. And it's interesting how God works these things together for good that way. Even the statements of an unbeliever. Alright. Putting an end to the agony of death because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. You ever think about that? He said, Tetelestai, it is finished. So why don't He just hop off the cross in power and great glory and start blasting everybody to smithereens, (laughs) right? Bring in the kingdom now. No, instead, He submitted to physical death. He went to the grave for three days. And that's, that's, a lot of times we don't think about that. Well, why? If the spiritual death produced the work, why even endure physical death? Okay, well... He had work to do while he was in the grave, and there were other things that had to happen so that he would identify with the full human experience, including you know, birth from the womb and death to the grave and everything in between. He identifies with each one of us. All right, well, I'm out of time. We'll um, pick up here because this life and death aspect, there are principles with respect to this, the the beside-the-point points that Paul makes when he does bring up life and death, and we want to kind of chart those out. So Wednesday night we're going to chart out the the beside-the-point points that Paul makes when he contrasts life and death and says, you know, all of that's irrelevant. That to die is gain. And if something is gain, that means you can throw away everything else that came up to that. Uh, Like his whole life before the Damascus Road. He says, I count all that by loss that I might gain he talks about what he gained when he came into uh, that uh, place. All right. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for brothers and sisters that are humble, that are hungry to show themselves approved. I pray, Father, that you would bless them in every way, that through this teaching it would come alive, and that it is able to save Father, we thank you so much for that. We also have a fellowship time. We're committing to your care this morning as we partake of the, uh, of the blessings and as we fellowship one with another and as we uh, celebrate the next work assignment that, uh, that you've set before us. We thank you for your faithfulness, Father. And uh, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.